and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast. Brought to you by Coordination.com, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm the guy who kind of feels like the guest on his very own show. My name is Greg Mahochko, and we got a full house for you. Let's go around the horn. At least, I, I don't know what order we're actually in when you see this. I just know that I'm over here. And to my left, our founder and fearless leader, John Dam Johnston. Hello, John. Hi. Moving on. Uh, below me, again, purely speculative. I don't know how this will uh, turn out. Is, uh, as always, Todd Wolverton. Hello, Todd. Greg, did you say below me? I mean, you know, whatever. It's oh, been a, well, it's been I, a hell of a week. I wasn't quite sure. I, no, uh, the answer is no. <laughs> That's fine. I've had... That's fine. <sighs> and back again. Gosh, it's so great to to see him, to hear his voice. Dr. Offense, Hoss Reuter. Hoss, uh, not, not even just Hoss, all of you guys. As uh, everybody knows, I was not on uh, last week's episode. I was on vacation with my family in Wisconsin uh, at the Dells, not like in, in Madison. I, I didn't actually see the cesspool. Um, but had a nice getaway with the family. So I, I was not here for the recording. I did listen to it uh, just about as soon as it dropped. Uh, terrific, terrific show across the board. Um, I don't even know why I'm here. Because we love you, Greg. Thank you. You're just a figurehead now. That's fine. <laughs> I'm just the guy who's going to point and, and say talk. Uh, You're like so, Scott Frost. Uh, so does hey. that mean I'm Mark Whipple? Yes. <laughs> Like 30 Todd, who are you? years younger. Todd Chenander. And John, oh, no, because no, no, you're no, so no. special. Because you're so special, John. You're I'm uh, a special teams analyst. Oh man. Don't don't be recording those uh illegal practices. <laughs> That'd be John. John's the one who actually clicks record. I'm telling you. In this in this situation, I think John is Trev Alberts. There you go. Okay. It was really nice to hear some nice things about our uh, uh, athletic director on last week's show. Did we hear nice things? Did I say nice things? Did somebody say nice Hoss things? said nice things. I'm also Hoss biased talked about the UNO math. I was going to say, he, he talked about the revitalization of the uh, UNO um, athletics. And, <laughs> and it was really touching to hear because we don't ever get that side of things. When I'm surrounded by these two clowns. So thank you very much, Hoss. You, you, start, you start this show by stabbing Todd right in the heart. <laughs> hey, too, Brute. He wants me to blow him and then he stabs me. What happens? <laughs> when you deny me, you die. <laughs> no. Um, so this is fun because on the pre-show, you guys were all talking about how terrific the YouTube video was from last week and all the views and Todd's over here like, well, what's the common denominator? Who the hell wasn't here last week? That's why it was such a good show. So fuck you, Todd. Well, that was me. who said That, that. was Hoss. Yeah. Fuck you, Todd. <laughs> See you guys. Adios. <laughs> I can take a hint. No, no. no, nobody better go anywhere. Um, <laughs> Ah, good. I'm not the only one. I just have my water. I have water. H2O. Some of uh, some of Tennessee's finest, Copenhagen. Uh, Hoss, do you remember the good old days when John used to drink on the show? Yeah, I also <laughs> remember the good old days when I used to drink on the show too. 
You remember the battle days when we had to drink on the show? Oh, God. <laughs> 2017, Nebraska, Penn State. Yep. <laughs> I think I, I think I killed like a six pack of Coors Banquet Tall Boys during that three hour long episode. We have had some marathons. He, he, Todd and, and John, I mean, I know you've listened to him, but you've never sat in for a recording that was as long as the football game. No. I, yeah. I don't think I could do that. And that, that came on the heels of I watched that game that day at a friend's giving, like a Thanksgiving get together with friends. So, like, I had been drinking beer and eating <laughs> turkey and pumpkin pie all day long, came home and drank more beer and bitched about the game. I, I, I get a, I get to be on long Zoom meetings with developers and IT people, and, and I get done with those, and I'm – I honestly, I just have to go lay down. They're so exhausting. So I don't, that, that's why I kind of try to push us to be 45 minutes to an hour, just because um, this, this is exhausting after a while. That's how my three love- hour grad classes on Zoom felt. I hated those, especially like 8 a.m. Just wake up and hop on Zoom. Not fun. Yeah. John, you should tell me uh, what my wife tells me. You got a 10 minute window. Otherwise I'm falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> ah, three times in that Tim Duncan. <laughs> I can God make an it. old man comment here, but um, well, well, John, let's talk about your blue chew. Well, you know, you do have to time that correctly. It's a bizarre. It's not just like, hey, Mister Happy's here and he's happy already. You know what I mean? Oh, look, the wind blows and you're standing up for salute. Getting old and having your heart broken, I mean, it has its, you know, fucks up your life in a lot of ways. Okay, let's go to the Nebraska great football. You I, I was going to segue with perfect segue to talk about how Nebraska football has broken our hearts and lowered our expectations and, you know. And there's some fucking people out there that think that a bowl game is good enough and he, Scott Frost needs more time. What hey, the hell? Who are you people? There's people out there that – Five wins is good enough for them to get them another year. I mean, have you guys gotten gotten on Husker Twitter recently? It's not. It's not a great place. It's a terrifying place, man. Dissenting opinions, not tolerated. And and, and I, it, which is unfortunate because that's. I mean, that's how we are as a society. So I get it. You know, it's 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 a microscope on one. It, you'll get the same thing on any topic. You know, like you'll get the same thing on on. Politics, religion, Marvel versus DC movies, you know, Vince McMahon, whatever is in the news. I mean, you'll always have there, there's no civil discourse, but we're not here to talk about that because we're not going to change anybody's minds. Really, that's, that's not- I, here's the thing. I don't it, I, the dissenting opinions part doesn't bother me. It's the dishonesty with which it's carried out. The, the intellectual the one, dishonesty. Yes. Yeah. The one thing that bothers me about the, the giving more time and then you see these people going, well, we can't keep this carousel r- rotating coaches. You motherfuckers weren't for keeping Mike Riley around after three years. And you know that. I mean, so he was essentially fired me, don't, after three games. Yeah, don't 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 give me this bullshit about more time and it takes more time and we can't keep rotating coaches because that's absolute bullshit. Well, let's I'm, I'm glad we're, that's coming up because I, I wanted to I don't know if I want to necessarily lead with it, but I wanted to get there. 20 years. 
revolve, you know, of different coaches. If you go back to, I mean, a few years prior, you know, Frank Solich, whatnot, but, but I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Solich's last year was 2003. Yep, three. Okay. So, you know, let's say, let's say the last 20 years, two of those coaches were ridden out of town, but they didn't have any Nebraska ties. And that's Bill Callahan and Mike Riley. Like Bo Pelini, right. you can say, you know, but he was a defensive coordinator. You know, he he was here prior, and he was you know welcome. He was damn near begged to come back, and you know, nine and ten wins were, I guess, the standard. But it was you know it was the sideline temperament, and you know there it was. It was blown out in big games, and and I was I was getting to that yeah. too. You know, the the games that mattered the most were where you know the the team as a whole, coaching staff included, kind of tucked their tails and and looked like a scared puppy dog. And but he was written out. Not you know the, I think the excuse uh, of the like on the field performance was well I can't win the big one. You know we've plateaued. We should be competing for conference championships. I don't disagree with any of that, but really, you know, I think he was, he was ran out of town for his off the field. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't on the field. Correct me if I'm wrong, you know, um, but I, when we look at the last 20 years of Nebraska football and Todd, we'll start with you. Cause I feel like I've been picking on you a little, this, you know, the show. And I want to, I want to, I want to put my best foot forward, Todd, who would you say is your favorite? Not going to go necessarily best because, you know, but uh, but since this is a subjective question, who's your favorite Husker football coach of the last 20 years and why? <laughs> and, and, and head coach. I, I, you know, I'm sure you can. I was going to say, wait, now you're taking away a possible answer for me. Um, so you can't say. Barney Cotton, I'm sorry. No, okay. So, Bo Pelini, um, he he would be my favorite Husker coach in the last 20 years. I I I didn't. I wasn't one of those people that turned on Bo. I was very frustrated, you know, in some of those big games. But I kept thinking at some point in time they'll get it figured out. Um, when he, and I understand his recruiting wasn't the greatest. Um, but I, I kept, I thought in the back of my mind, when this guy starts pulling in players that can compete, you know, from a physical standpoint in the big 10 conference, he'll write this ship. They'll be okay. But I couldn't defend him with the off field stuff that happened. I mean, he, he shot himself in both feet and, you know, there was, they didn't have any choice. I mean, that's, it's kind of like death by cop, suicide by cop, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, he had to go. But, you know, I I publicly said I was okay with Mike Riley coming on. I thought he was a pretty good coach. Um, never had a high number of wins, but I thought that had more to do with, you know, the fact that he was on, you know, Cal Berkeley and places like that, you know. And um, I thought he was going to be the guy that could get it done. But, no, I'd say Bo Pelini. He would, he, he's my favorite in the last 20 years. I, I will go around the entire table, but I want to ask if you, 
and I know we all look back at at the move to the Big Ten and say it was the best move, you know, for, uh, from the from the financial standpoint. But do you think? To, and and Todd, this is uh, again addressed solely to you. Do you think that moving to the Big Ten, not to say it was like the the final nail in the coffin, but man, it didn't do Bo and his style, his schemes, it didn't do him any favors. Well, Bo's schemes worked very well against you know the basketball on turf offenses that you know were showing up and dominating the Big Twelve Conference at that time. I think what what kind of surprised me. And I, you know, I'm not a division one head football coach, but what kind of surprised me is that Bo didn't start recruiting with an eye towards going to the big 10. I mean, he really didn't change in my opinion, the type of players that he was bringing on board because he's going to win today, you know, win today. And, and I guess we are in a win today mentality and we were back then too. So, you, you know, it's kind of a, Damned if you do, damned if you don't think. Um, final nail in the coffin, I still think that had Bo not melted down and just absolutely, you know, um, felt like it was him and his team against the world, I, I think they could have had success. I want to touch on that that recruiting statement very briefly. Correct me if I'm wrong, we are given about one year right? Uh, one year's notice um, from the announcement of that we're moving to the Big Ten to the actual move, correct? I don't recall. I thought it was more than a year, but I could be wrong there, too. Yeah, I, it, was, it was one year. We, okay. we announced July 1st. Well, which you really can't prepare then. No, yeah. No. I mean, and that's the time. I mean, you have to change your entire recruiting philosophy over the course of one football season. Um, and and so, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not defending Bo. That's that, but he he wouldn't change. He wouldn't change. That's just the bottom line. He even when change. even when you know we were moved to the Big Ten, yeah, yeah, he didn't change his defense. He claimed all the time that he didn't have to change his defense. His defense was fine, and then Melvin Gordon would go for four hundred nine yards and three quarters. So, I think Melvin Gordon just scored on Nebraska again, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, sorry, I, sorry, Hoss. I think he just he I, he proved after he left Nebraska that he didn't really belong and as a Division One head coach, he I didn't have the of, mentality for it. I know Haas wants to stay stuff. Go ahead, Haas. I, I was going to say I think the biggest critique I would have against Bo's recruiting leading into joining the Big Ten would be not capitalizing on Indomitian Sue's superstardom and going out and getting, you know, he should have had every five-star defensive lineman yeah. lined up, knocked on the door, wanting to come play here. Instead, yeah. it's, you know, Thad Randall was a serviceable defensive tackle, but he was nowhere near a superstar. Uh, we had such bad depth problems by year two in the Big Ten that we were starting a 260-pound Cam Meredith at three technique against Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. And so, like, as Todd pointed out, having a year to recruit to a different style of play you're going to see in a conference, that's really no fault of Bose, but he should have been more proactive in terms of, you know, parlaying Sue's success into getting all the big-time defensive linemen to come here. And um, also the game just – offensive football passed his defense by. And I think the biggest evidence yeah. of that would be – we went out to UCLA in 2012, and Noel Mazzoni just tuned up Bo's yeah. defense like a fiddle. I mean, 
sit, I remember watching that game at a bar and just like wishing I had a notebook with me as pissed off as I was about the game to take notes about UCLA's offense. So it, it's a lot of different factors, the recruiting, the off field issues, offensive football evolving at such a high rate, you know, pace in that time frame. But if I was going to pick a favorite Husker coach the past 20 years, it's not popular, but I'd say Bill Callahan. He modernized Nebraska. He brought us out of the Stone Age. What? We recruited better than we ever had. I mean, he was an offensive line guy. Those offensive lines were actually really solid under Callahan. Put a lot of guys in the NFL that played for a long time. You know, he really, you know, we majored in inside and outside zone. And it's just a shame, you know, couldn't get together. I mean, blame Sam Keller. You can blame Osborne call or Callahan calling Osborne a crusty old fuck, you know, behind the scenes, you know, blame on whatever you want. But the man did modernize Nebraska football, brought us out into the 21st century of big time college football. And he could recruit his ass off. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've never gotten back to that level of recruiting. Again, a problem with leadership. Yep. And he, he could, he, no, again, I, honestly, he I bet he took the job thinking, oh, I'll be there three, two, three, four years, turn around, being respectable, you know, bring him into the 21st century, bounce back to the NFL. Yeah. yeah. But he, he, was, he a good, was a guy you know, that he, was, he knew what he was talking about. He wasn't a fraud of a coach. It just didn't work out here. Uh, I, I'd say that his biggest flaw was when the shit hit the fan, he hid. Yeah. And he, he, he deflected and he hid. You know what I mean? I always think when I think of Bill Callahan, I think of a customer site I worked at where there was a woman who it was a marketing company and there was a woman who would just disappear and we couldn't find her. And then one day uh, we found her and she was underneath her desk and she had literally gone underneath her desk and pulled her chair in to make it look like she wasn't there. And she would, she couldn't handle the stress of the job and she just couldn't quit. She couldn't do anything. And I, then whenever I think of Bill Callahan, I think of that's how he handled the pressure of being the head coach at Nebraska. He just kind of disappeared when it came to leadership. Yeah, and you can't lead from under a rock, as uh, Bo Pliny once said about Sean Eichhorst in that leaked audio recording. He said many things, but <laughs> we're not going to repeat those things. on there. <laughs> Actually, that's a pretty profound thing that he said. Yeah. <laughs> like, when, I remember hearing it even then. I wasn't a Bo guy there at the end, but when that came out and he said that, I was like, he is right. You can't lead from under a rock. And we kind of saw that in 2017 leading up to Ike Horse firing. You know, he deflected a lot. He insulated himself. With, you remember all the stories about how many lawyers and administrators he hired in the AD, you know, just tried to yeah. insulate himself. And that bunker mentality, it's a losing mentality. Just ask Adolf Hitler. Bunker mentality doesn't work. You know, the problem that I course, the, I think the, the mistake that I course made was that he didn't let Bo coach one more season. He fired him at nine and three. And now we look back and we go, he could have been better. And the reality is, is I think at the end, when he was fired, his next recruiting class had shit tons of depth chart problems. Uh-huh. He had, he hated recruiting. And honestly, our fan base between him dealing with I course and dealing with us, as a fan base, I think he was exhausted with all of it, you know. And I think the next season he probably would have had a losing record. And then you Yeah, because when, when you think about all the talent he would have lost in 14 to 15, I mean, Amir Abdullah, Kenny Bell, Randy Gregory, all those guys gone. 
And yeah, I mean, no like Mike Riley inherited a, depth, a ticking time bomb of a depth yeah. chart. Yeah. And now we come to Scott Frost. Is that where you're going, Greg? Is that where you're going? Are you? Are you going to Scott Frost? Are you? I was going to ask you, John. John, John who's your favorite? John, who's your Frank, favorite coach? Husker Frank Solich. Well, tell us why, Shoots. Well, because he was he was a Husker man. He was a Nebraska guy. He was Tom Osborne's buddy. And he was doomed. He Frank was doomed oh, yeah. the moment Tom said hire him. Because yeah. following a legend, I mean, that'd be like me going on stage after Bill Burr. You know what I mean? I'm going to go on stage and people are going to look at me and go, Bill Burr, who are you? Oh, I think you're fine. I know you look ranty, but you suck. Doesn't matter if I was really good that night. It, just, do your whole, I, just do your whole get drunk and get mad at people online. <laughs> but, you know, Frank was screwed. He really was. He was going to get fired because he wasn't Tom Osborne, you know, sooner or later. Oh. And I think he the quality of the program dropped. But he was in a no-win position. He was. Be- because <clears throat> as close as they came, you know, you look at like 2001, as close as they came to replicating that success of the 90s, not all the pieces were there. And there had to be a, for lack of a better term, there had to be a scapegoat. You know, when you look at 2002, 2003, uh, it's... Don't get blown out by Kansas State. I'm sorry. I mean, that's simple. I Okay, and, and I don't... That's fine. I, I'm not disputing that. Sorry, I just but want to some shit. That's fine. I, I can take it. I got thick skin. Um, how many? Is it just because it was Kansas State? Because how many times did Bo get blown out and had a lot of op- opportunity after that? You know, you know, same reason why I had the issue with Bo blowouts. You know, I mean, like, granted, I was 13 years old in 2003, so I didn't know my ass <laughs> from a hole in the ground, except for the Still fact done. that I liked football. But you know, like when you when you position yourself as always acting superior to Kansas state, and then they just kick your ass two years. Actually, I think it was three years in a row, two Oh three Oh four. And they're pulling guys that you want, i.e. Darren Sproles, L Roberson, guys like that. Like you gotta, you got a problem. Somebody's coming into your backyard. I mean, and you know, they're kicking your ass that. And I think Frank is a play calling. This was not dynamic like Osborne was. Just didn't oh, quite you, you know, didn't quite mix it up enough to to keep no, it like he just didn't have like and again I'm gonna go into like educational psychology to having a doctorate in that and, you know oh that's good because that that's some together. of the stuff that that Todd last week asked a question that I didn't ask two weeks ago mm-hmm. where the hell you been what were you doing what the hell did that mean you know this question that I should ask when you when you came back mm-hmm. uh, so I was I was tickled. Uh, the, the Todd asked those questions, Todd. Absolutely. Well done, sir. Um, <laughs> but, but that's, but that's great. Yeah. No, give us that perspective of it because it, what I learned last week on the show from not being here, uh, is that Tom had just a completely different approach to coaching. So tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. He, his approach to coaching was from a teaching standpoint, it was equipped players at each position with the knowledge, skills, and abilities to go out there and do their job to execute. And he broke it down, you know, 
I've seen some of the old position manuals where it breaks down step by step in like a task analysis of what you're supposed to do on a specific block if you're an offensive lineman or where, what the quarterback's reading, you know, when he gets to the line of scrimmage, the steps for a running back on an outside zone versus an inside zone or a counter play. And so not leaving any detail out, he started from the smallest detail. So everybody had a strong foundation of what to do. And then from the other side, if you're the defense going up against his offense, it's a three-term contingency. Like he has answers for everything. So like they're going to show if we're going to run outside zone, you know, might be a handoff, a stretch handoff to the back. Next play, it could be a pitch, might be an option play next. Later in his career, it might be a quarterback run, you know, just a lead run out to the perimeter. But he's showing the defense things that look alike. And then when they start really anticipating it, you know, that antecedent, they're seeing it and they want to go after it. He hits them with something that looks the same, but it's completely different. So a play action pass or a counter offer, giving it to the fullback on the belly option, on the belly trap instead of just running the belly option. So when you put all those things together, like preparing your athletes to go out there and execute and then forcing the defense to just have to defend, prepare throughout the week to defend just the sheer volume of scheme that we ran. I mean, we had just, you know, we had very simple blocking schemes. We had just tons of plays off of, you know, seven blocking schemes like John or Todd pointed out last week. We can't remember which one it was. I don't think we talked about that on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're both putting your guys into a position to succeed and then you're making it absolute hell for the defense to defend, and then you have a guy who knows how to time a play perfectly or, you know, patient enough to set up something for a couple of plays down the road or the next series or later, late in the game when they're really taking the bait on anticipating what they think a play is, you're going to be a pretty damn good play caller. And then on top of that, you know, he took, because a lot of times in football, you'll see coaches, offensive coordinators, they, if they have better talent, they run a really boring offense because they can just overpower somebody. If they ha- don't have – if they're outgunned talent-wise, they'll have a really creative offense because they have to cover up weaknesses. Right. He took the best of both worlds. He was, we had supreme talent through – whether it's through recruiting or just strength and conditioning, development, and the teaching on the field, and paired it with an offense that was held to defend. And so, like, I, that's what I love about, like, Steve Sarkeesian when he was at Alabama – as the OC it would have been easy for them just to roll out there and run inside zone, a couple RPOs, a couple of deep passes, but no, they like, they use different motions. They made everything look the same and then built off of that. So like Ohio state in the national championship game that year, they're having to communicate their coverage checks on the fly when they got all these motions going on, whether it's orbit or rocket or return motions, they don't know up from down, like watching, um, Werner, the safety nickel linebacker type for Ohio State, watching him try to chase down the Alabama receivers, he had no idea what he was doing. And then you see him in Big Ten play, and, you know, he was everywhere. He was a tackling machine. So it's I love coaches that don't just rely on being – on overpowering people. I want to – and Todd, John, jump in if you have a thought, but – going back just a minute or two to what you were talking about as far as setting something up now um, for next series, next quarter, later in the game, 
I feel like in today's game of football, there's so much impatience. Like we got to hit that home run. Yeah, uh, you know, I know it's a baseball analogy, but we got to get that hail mary. We gotta, we gotta score now. We gotta build up our, you know, like our. There's no, there's no chipping away. You know, is that kind of what you're you're talking about as far as some of that classic '90s uh, yeah, offensive you know, play calling? Chipping away using the constraint theory of play calling. Okay, we're running this. It looks like this. Next next series, we're gonna run this. You know, we're. Gonna you need adjust. to explain what a constraint play is. Constraint is just like sounds sounds like you know the name constraint. You're constraining the defense with what you're doing. So like, if you're gonna run belly trap with the play side guard just kicking out the defensive end, the fullback running underneath that trap block. Maybe next series you're gonna run belly option where it looks the same. It starts saying quarterback puts it in the belly of the fullback, play side guard pulls, but instead of kicking out the defensive end he wraps him or log blocks him to seal him off from the perimeter and we're going outside instead of going inside. So a simple, um, a a simple piece of that would have been last year's Illinois game when they sold out against the run so much, one fucking counter play (laughs) and we win the game, one counter play or any counter plays. The the play I was just describing the, the play side guard kicking out during that game, I was sitting there going, if they're going to line up that wide, just run right inside, pull a play side guard, kick them out. We, we have the play in our offense. We ran it, you know, probably 40 times last year. And that that's what's frustrating. But, like, to bring up back to Greg's point about chipping the ball down the field, driving, that's one thing I like about Whipple's offense. It wasn't a lot of chunk plays last year that they had. They drove between the 20s, and when they got to the red zone, they got points. They didn't come away, you know, empty-handed. It wasn't like Garrett Nelson's awesome, colorful explanation of what it felt like to lose games last year, talking to a girl at the bar, and right, you know, at the end, her boyfriend comes and takes her home. You know, that's what, like, coming up empty-handed in the rest. You don't score, you know. But, you know... Double entendre there. We're, we're ta- we're, you're saying this, too, you know, and I don't disagree with any of it, but, you know, one of the quotes that uh, has been in the paper from Frost from his, you know, time at uh, Media Days was something along the lines of, I don't mind having a running play take a loss mm-hmm. if on two other plays we're blowing off the ball and we're getting big yards. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not even actually sure what that really means, but Frost has 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 made it clear he wants to hit the home runs. I mean, he's going for the home run a lot. And, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm still a little bit concerned, you know, how these philosophies, how these mentalities between him and Whipple are going to merge a little bit here. Um, you know, he, he also said that he wasn't going to keep his hands completely off the offense. So, well, See, I, I wonder what it's going to be like when, if we've lost, you know, lost a couple of games and things are, you know, the, the wagons are circled up and is he going to, you know, grab the play calling duties back, you know, like, so I, cause I, I'm with Todd here. Like the, there's kind of a little bit of a dissonance between what Whipple's offense shows and what Frost is saying. 
you know, and the other thing too, and, and, you know, while, and I kidn't standing, but, you know, Hayden Fry, <laughs> he owned the statement, you know, scratch where it itches. Well, hell, Tom Osborne was scratching where it itches, you know, his entire career. And that's one of the things that kind of concerns me a little bit about what we've seen with some of the play calling is I think that's how you grind things out. That's how you mm -hmm. sustain drives. You identify those weaknesses and you attack those weaknesses. In different that's why Wisconsin, you know, will just do what they do over and over and over again. Purdue does it in the passing game too. They'll find a slow outside linebacker and they will exploit him. Yep. And Minnesota has the slant. <laughs> you know, I saw on media days the other day after I got over how weird PJ Fleck looks after his plastic surgery. He looks like a I serial killer. I can't believe Minnesota won nine games last year. Yeah. I was sitting there. I was like, I would kill to win nine games. Like, ah, just – I, I hate losing to Minnesota. I know I said that last week, but that you, one really just gnaws at me. You remember a couple of years ago when we were having various conversations or they might have been on, you know, Corn Nation, you know, and some of the uh, uh, back and forth between some of the, the regulars there, you know, ranking the Big Ten coaches. And almost to a person, everybody was ranking Scott Frost above P.J. Fleck. You know, P, we got the superior yeah. coach. And – God damn, it's hard to swallow. <laughs> that That is not a reality at this point in time. He's a good coach, as nauseating as he is with his yeah. peppiness and sprinting down the sidelines at the end of the quarter and, you know, doing the ski you ma chant in between quarters and all that. <sighs> Greg, are you okay? You look like you're – you look I, like you're trying to take I, a dump. I was. Um <laughs> No, I was looking up this PJ Fleck uh, uh, plastic surgery thing. I didn't know anything about that. Oh yeah. my god! It's not the same person. He, he looks. He literally look used to look like a kind of like a clown used car salesman. Mm -hmm. Now he looks like a fucking serial killer. Yeah. He does. He looks like, like we're going to see imp, a little elf or something. So, to I, borrow a phrase from The Sopranos, those eyes are like Manson lamps, just you know, <laughs> wide open. He looked like, and th this was the first, my first thought from the first picture that I saw before I clicked it and saw like the bigger version of it. But my first reaction was, he looks like a short, bald Joel McHale. Or <laughs> that Rob Cordry, that actor? Yes. Yes. From the show Ballers. That's what I know him from. It's a great show. Or uh, Children's Hospital, which was on Adult Swim years ago. Anyway. <clears throat> All right. So. I think that concludes our – I want to say one, one other thing about uh, Dr. Tom's approach. This is for anybody or all of you in, in no particular. How helpful was it that he had one of the best defensive coordinators of all time? Oh, very helpful. Very helpful. And how helpful was it that he had – and I hate you – both John and Todd, because uh, no, I'm sorry, not John, John and Haas. Uh, I, I love you, Todd. Um, clearly from the beginning of the show. Yes. Uh, I propositions. Guess. Uh, a little bit much here. Um, but 
he had one of the best offensive line coaches of all time. And you guys have the book and you're both unwilling to share it with me. I will never let that might get buried with me. You can't that. take it with you, Hoss. You can't take it with I you. Will. Hey, I found that thing for $3 at half price books still in the cellophane. And I could not get to the register fast enough. Like, I was almost convinced someone was going to come and rip it out of my hand. <laughs> so I was like this with it. Dude, that thing was going for like 700 bucks on Amazon. Yeah, and then I find it brand new. Yeah. John shared a great story a few weeks back about how it was a gift. Uh, his copy was a gift uh, from uh, Ryan Tweedy of the Big Red yeah. Copcast. Uh, and it was autographed, I believe. Right, John? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To me in football. Yeah. That, that thing is sitting on my bookshelf next to my psychology textbooks. That's that's how important it is. I feel like Haas loves that book so much that he would take out like a blank page, a page that has nothing. It wouldn't lose any of the text, anything like that. But he would rip out a page that that listen and give it to some artisan who would work it, cover it with epoxy, so that he could give that to his uh, future Mrs. Haas. Uh, as an engagement ring. That's, that, no, I don't like to conflate uh, football and women together. You know. Okay. <laughs> I keep those things very separate. Very wise. Very, very smart. Well, as the only one of us that's single yep. and, and or unmarried, uh, I should say. Greg, I'll make a deal with you. If I ever find a copy of that book, at a half price bookstore, I will send it to you. Yeah. How about how about we, how about we do this? If you ever find a copy of that book, regardless, you buy it. I'll buy your copy off of you for three bucks, and then we'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put this way: like when I read, I, I'm a big like. Not when I'm reading fiction, I don't underline stuff. So I'm reading fiction; it's just for enjoyment. But like when I'm reading nonfiction books, whether it's textbooks, you know. Uh, technical stuff. I'm a big underliner and I'll write on the pages, you know, take notes. And that book, I will not do that. Like I absolutely yeah. refuse yep. to do that. Yep. You know, if I, if I'm reading from it and I'm taking notes from it, like it will be on a separate piece of paper. Let, let's, let's go back to that though. I mean, you, the thing that always gets me about the Tom Osborne and his coaches thing is that everybody knows that Tom Osborne didn't raise his voice. He didn't swear. Everybody and else that, around him did. Yeah, they did. I mean, Charlie <laughs> McBride and, and Milt Tenenberger. If you go back and I look at the even the book uh, that Paul Koch wrote that I'm going to do a YouTube video about. I mean, it's very clear that both of those guys were just the the meanest, nastiest sons of bitches that ever lived. So I, you know, it's not just you have a head coach though. He has to have his coaches underneath him. I, you know, in a way, like a mob boss, I guess they, I, yeah, they don't all have to like, share the like same personality. You know, the generals in a, in a military, you know, organization, generals literally typically going to be more even keeled, you know, and it's the, you know, lieutenants and non-commissioned officers who are out there as the ass kickers. I, I, I encourage anybody, you know, we, we don't typically have a lot of guests on the five heart podcast, but, uh, uh, go to whatever podcast service you like the most. Uh, type in Big Red Cobcast because they actually sat down more than once with Charlie McBride and I believe early on with Milt uh, Teneper as well. So uh, give those old episodes a listen. They're a lot of fun. And 
everybody but me is going to remember the name of the sports psychologist from the nineties. He was a guest on there as well. I mean, that's a, these are really good conversations that, you know, like I think partly because I'm not, I'm not at all giving myself more credit than I deserve, but as like the, the kind of more often than not host of the five heart podcast with my work schedule and the kids, like we don't start recording until eight 30 at night or, or nine o'clock and not too many guests would want to be like, yeah, let me clear out my uh, Wednesday night. And, and, you know, when I could be watching CSI reruns with my <laughs> wife, you know, um, so this we is, don't have the working man's podcast. Or <laughs> the people is, by the that's right. Yes, John. Point, Jack Stark, you know, the strength and conditioning people, the two coaches that we just named, all those people came together to build championship game winning teams. And I'm not just talking about national titles. I don't remember how many conference titles Tom Osborne won off the top of my head, but he always had a, a shot. There were, I don't remember any years. He really wasn't in the running for competing for the big 12 or the big eight conference title. And now we have a coaching staff that in four years, can't manage to beat Iowa, can't manage to beat Minnesota, can't beat Purdue, can't goes back and forth with Northwestern. I'm missing the fourth one. Wisconsin, we haven't beat Iowa. Wisconsin. I mean, uh, we Illinois. can't. It's this isn't about, but when we started this, there's people that say he needs more time. He's not even coming close to beating a shitty division full of people. That, that's the thing when people, a lot of people around Omaha, you know, none of you guys are in the Omaha area, but the people that I know, it's always. Oh, it took Tom Osborne 21 years to get to that point. And I always be like 21 years and he was losing to elite Oklahoma teams, elite West Coast schools, Penn State, Colorado when they got really good under McCartney. We can't even beat fucking Lovey Smith's Illinois team a week before Thanksgiving in 2020. We get housed at home, 41-23. We can't even beat <laughs> Illinois in, with a first-year head coach. It didn't take so, 20 years for yeah. Tom to start winning. Yeah, that's like saying if people said that, it'd be like, did it take him 20 years to go to a bowl game? Right. And and that's kind of the thing. You know, I, I guess you look at him at media days. I didn't watch it. I saw the Twitter reactions to it. People said that he was very kind of gruff or very abrupt and stuff like that. And Tom Chattel wrote yeah, back-to-back articles. He kind of went, what? what? I think what in the first one he's like hitting the sauce there, you know. I, yeah, I don't know what the hell he's doing, but in the first one he's like, Yeah, Scott Frost didn't take this seriously, and then the next one was a complete 180 degrees. That you're like, What the hell are you even writing now? So I didn't, I didn't really get what he was getting on about, but you know, uh, the, I, I don't blame him for pointing out like there was no bravado this year because yeah, Frost came in with a lot of bravado and you know, swagger for lack of a better term. And, when he said, you know, we hope the Big Ten has to adjust to us, yeah, hell yeah, I was excited. I was ready to run through a yeah. brick wall when he said that. I remember through that. 2018, that. it looked like that was what was going to happen. We put up 500 yards of offense in, what, seven, eight straight games. You know, we were really clicking by the end of the year. But, you know, he got humbled. And, um, you know, it's. I'd like to – if he was going to turn around, I'd like to say, oh, well, you know, he got humbled and he's going with a, you know, speak softly and carry a big stick approach. But the past four seasons proved that, you know, 
I don't think it's going to get done. Yeah. You know, people have analyzed and people are going to continue to analyze, you know, Scott Frost's quote unquote performance, you know, at media days. And, you know, once he started answering questions, I, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not disappointed in any of his answers. You know, I'm not going to tear apart. I think he, he answered questions. So I just found it very strange that he's the first guy up and he just stands at the podium. I mean, you know, he doesn't even greet, welcome, acknowledge or whatever. I mean, we need, we need that, that, uh, what Kaylee Ann McElhaney Jen Saki, we need somebody. I mean, what the hell? Press secretary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and here's well, Scott Frost. Here's Scotty. He, you know, was he was he drunk? Was he, you know, was he what the hell? I, I don't know. The night before. It it just it, if he wanted to project this. Uh, persona of we're all business. We know we got to win. That's what we're focused on. I mean, if, if, and if he wanted to, you know, leave the swagger at home, you know, whatever, if that's what he wanted to project, I'm all for that. Be Mm -hmm. humble, but geez, he looked like a dork, you know, you can be humble and still be polished and have an opening statement. You know, hey, good morning. Um, Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Looking forward to the season. Um, I'm not going to give any speeches. Let's just get to your questions and, and uh, I'll be respectful of your time and, and answer them to the best of my ability. You know, something. Crack a few self-deprecating jokes about, you know, the best. You know who's really good at this? You know who's really excellent at this? Who? It's Kevin Warren. I think he's doing a good job, actually, as Big Ten commissioner. Well, that he is such a polished bureaucrat that he is he understands how to exactly answer, deal with the media exactly. It's so it's gross to the point of gross. When somebody asks him a question, his first response is, "That's a very good question, Tom." You know, blah, 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 blah. God, you know, even do, Bill Belichick would have said, go, no, go ahead, Todd. Go even ahead. Bill Belichick would have said, ah, what the hell you want to know? You know, <laughs> it would have at least acknowledged right. that there are people there. To, to John's point about the, that's a very good question. Anytime I had to do that during like a grad school presentation or facilitation, I felt like such a douchebag being like, well, oh, that's a very good question. Let me tell you, you know, like it works, but yeah, it just feels, it almost feels slimy. Kevin Warren was asked about all these new schedules, the USC, USCLA joining the conference, how the players are going to handle traveling all over because nobody gives a shit about the players that are going to be making tons of money. And what did he respond with? We have a student advisory council that we're going to have so we can listen to their concerns. And completely ignore them, but they that you know that's the answer. We have a council that we formed and a task committee and a task force and a committee and a you know that they're just so good. He is good at this bureaucracy thing. You know, to your point, he really took over at a bad time to like you know, COVID being his first year as commissioner, like that wasn't going to do him any favors, but I don't mind him 
Husker Twitter really hates him. Husker Twitter hates everybody. <laughs> I have to come to the occlusion that Husker Twitter, maybe just Husker fans, period, just have a problem with authority. I, I, I don't think the idea of authority meshes well with our, gosh, broad strokes there, uh, pioneer sense of like, we don't need you, you know? <laughs> I, I see what you're saying, and but at the same time, I kind of feel like you can tell them, you know, hey, you know, it's a bad product. You can be critical. Well, a true fan's never critical. A true fan is a you know true believer. You know, I don't I'm know. Sure I we're gonna get a lot of comments hating on this episode. I, I think Twitter is just a, a cesspool of grumpiness and hate anyway. But you know, it's a dark place. It is. I mean, all, all social place. media is really. Instagram. I like Instagram. I while we're there, can, can we shine a light on a fellow coordinationer? Okay. Of course. Our, our I, guest of the our listener of the week. <laughs> Is it your buddy Josh? It's not. Um I, I meant a, a fellow contributor to coordination. Uh on Instagram, Nate Meets World. It's our very old uh, Nathaniel oh. Perlow who who travels and I think right now he's down in South or Central America. Um, and just follow, if you want to see the world from the comfort of your mobile device, uh, throw, throw him a follow, uh, and, uh, and just check it out. Nate meets world. I think it's like a uh, combination of like Lowell Thomas, Anthony Bourdain and Ernest Hemingway all rolled into one. (laughs) That is lofty praise. I mean, seriously, like I, I see his, I've followed him on Instagram since, you know, I first started contributing to coordination. I'm like, damn, I wish I could travel like that. Yeah. I started following him on Instagram about an hour ago and I haven't regretted <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't regretted it for a second. Um, we were oddly enough, folks, we were going to talk about the quarterback room uh, this episode, <laughs> and I don't think we're going to get there. Uh but that's okay. I, I want to touch on one thing. Uh, it, it's not like a point of contention. I, I, I don't want to start a debate, but I know that Logan Smothers got brought up last week when you're talking about the Michael Whipple offense uh, and, and how I think it, it was reported that Casey Thompson took the first snap of fall camp, and that's important. Um, but Logan Smothers, and I think Todd, I'm not, I don't say this to throw you under the bus. Uh, you said, you know, it'd be great because I think that the, the communal opinion was, yeah, he'd be great in, you know, if, if you're going to do an RPO or, or, or more option because he is quick footed, uh, he, he'd be great, pardon the pun, option in a, in a, in a package like that. This is more of a question. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, stir a debate, but if you're the, defense and you see a guy coming in for you know maybe you have a little film so you know he can do x you know and there's a little film on logan after the uh uh, iowa game does that not just make it that much easier for you in in, uh, defensive play call uh anybody can answer i I, the first time uh long time listener first time caller i'll I'll hang up a listener no (laughs) no it it doesn't because well number one we have a if you're talking right now specifically about uh, having a new offensive coordinator or Nebraska situation, I still think they're going to be running everything 
is a lot different than it was the year before. But I mean, think about having a game plan. Let's go to the NFL. I mean, how would you game plan and how for Aaron Rodgers differently than you would for uh, Mahomes, for Joe Burrow? I mean, you're you're looking at quarterbacks that can, you know, take off and run and cause disruption that way versus uh, quarterbacks that like Burrow, I don't think Burrow's known for, or Rodgers really, they're going to stay in the pocket and move around a lot. They can extend plays, but you're going to, your defense is predicated on probably them as a player. I'm just making this shit up as I'm going. I don't, I don't. I think when, <laughs> I think when Logan Smothers comes in the game, I don't think he's that much different one than Chubba Purdy or Casey Thompson, honestly. Just because we have film on them, I think all three of those quarterbacks, to a certain degree, are going to be mobile running quarterbacks. They may not run the option, all three of them, because I, I, you're probably going to be willing to sacrifice Logan Smothers a lot more than you are Casey Thompson. But uh, I don't think that you change your D. I think you look at the alignments and you look at what's going on with the the way they're lined up, and you just try to get the math right. At least that's where I think the college John- is. I, I guess, yeah, I guess the this NFL is, is more about scheming single players against single players to find that, weak. That's what I was about to say, John. Um, at the college level, it's more about preparing for the schemes that you're going to see each week. Right. There's such a variety, wide variety of schemes that everybody runs. In the NFL, it's more of a matchup league. So you're really scheming around a, a really good quarterback in their style or, you know, their threats on the perimeter or whether they have a really good run game. So, I don't think it's going to make a big difference in terms of how defensive coordinators prepare for us. Logan Smothers would probably, I mean, they'd probably mix in some option for him, you know, on third and two, run a speed option out of the gun or, you know, quarterback draw, or you just maybe be a little bit more mobile, but I think it'd be at its essence, the same overall offense. I, I guess the, the, the crux of my question is, you know, like the, you always, maybe not as much now, but you used to hear, about that that two quarterback system, right? And and each one has their their specialty. And I feel like if I'm the defensive corner, if I see quarterback two coming in, well, I'm like, well, shit, we know what to expect, or at least more likely to expect, you know. And so I, I as as a as again as an as a novice as a, as a moron, which I, I proudly claim to be, I. I feel like that's a little bit concerning. I feel like it, we're making it a little too easy on on the defense now, and this is different from you know what we were talking about earlier with the different looks that you know we were able to present in the '90s for you know or, or different options out of the same uh, look, I should say, uh, under you know Tom Osborne and and that style of football. I it, it's you know if you're bringing in a Logan Smothers and you've never seen Casey Thompson or Chubba Purdy run an option and you. You're like, oh, well, Logan Smothers is coming in at third and two. Let's watch for that, you know, QB speed yeah. option or, you know, so like, I, I feel like we, we you know, talk, talk about, I, I think last year, I, I know this got brought up uh, last week's episode, but it's like, yeah, when Illinois came out in this defensive, whatever, we had to throw away half of our playbook type of thing. I feel like some defensive coordinators might key on, on, a particular player and what they are, are more likely to do, you know, keep in mind, keep them, keep in mind the tendencies can be used against people too. And that's exactly how Minnesota won their game against us last year. 
especially later swap. later in the season after tendencies have been established. A lot of times they'll flip them. But you you saw Tanner Morgan come into the game and run their offense, and you see Cole Kramer come in. And I don't do you remember what they run with Cole Kramer? They mostly ran just like a wildcat type. Yeah, they ran a little uh, quarterback G lead. Yeah, and then and then toward the end of the game. The one time in the entire fucking game when he Kramer was supposed to keep the ball, I think they ran like something that looked like a counter. And one of their backs took off the opposite direction, and our entire team was following Cole Kramer because that's what he'd done every other play. As and that was I the like, play that won that game for them. As much as I like Chenander's, what he did last year, you know, with his defense, his defensive play calling, he got worked in that Minnesota game. Uh, we adjusted in the middle of it and got back in the game, but it was punch, counter punch, you know, flip tendencies. And yeah, we were slanting the wrong way on that long run. Todd, you were going to say something. Well, no, they still have to stop it. They still have to stop it. I mean, if you, if you have these packages and if you execute well, um, you know, the defense, okay. Yeah. They're going to see this quarterback come in and they're going to be prepared, you know, or whatever, but you still have to stop it. (laughs) Yes, Greg. Why? Why? Have we, based on recent history and observation and heartache and pain, <laughs> do we have a lot of faith in execution? <laughs> hey, I know. I know, I know what you're saying, though. I know what you're saying, Todd. 50 50 shot every play. <laughs> I will say this. I was on Twitter for a little bit during Big Ten Media Days, and I really got the idea from the responses from Husker fans I got that. I don't need to be so negative. We need to just let's just see what happens. You know what I mean? I mean, we can we can bitch and moan and or or be the other side where it's like, oh, it's duckies and bunnies. But I, I guess there's no point in just, you know, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Part of it is we're going to speculate at some point about what we think is going to happen this season. But, you know, I Bro. I didn't see the point of tearing Scott Frost's words apart either. But. Because I from thought a, he said some dumb things. From a more macro level, and this is not just pertaining to Husker football. I mean, in life, is it possible to be critical without being negative? I feel like, it, and and I'll, I'll try to throw some context in there. Any time, and and maybe it's the fact that it's 2022 and everybody's super sensitive. Uh, but every time there is any criticism as constructive as it may come across or, or, or intended, I, I feel like it, it is more often than not going to be perceived as negative. And I'm, I'm, I'm fine with criticism, you know, uh, go Lord, look at me. You know, I, I get criticized, you know, walking to my van in, in, in the morning. Um, yeah. Okay, a van, uh, a rough one. <laughs> These kids, man. These I, kids ain't got a filter anymore. Let me tell you, no. <laughs> like you're like being like you know, get, get jumped, you know. Some old lady sitting on her porch having coffee's cat calling you, you know, at seven thirty in the morning. <laughs> the thing about the Nebraska offseason, the offseason for a lot of college football teams, was explained to be my by a Nebraska media member who will remain nameless. Uh, will you tell us ago. after the show? No, and he said he said basically, you know, if Nebraska fans expect you to be uh, they don't expect you to be negative or critical at all. 
So the fact that the media is critical or negative at any times is kind of astonishing. And I, I can't remember who he pointed out, but he, he had pointed out that uh, some people had lost their jobs in the past over the fact that they were negative. And this is the off season. And there are a lot of fans that just expect you to talk about, uh, <clears throat> you know, how good this player is or how good this player is. And if you can't talk about that, then tell us that they came from their hometown and what their mom's spaghetti is like. You know what I mean? That's the kind of coverage that a lot of people really want. They do. See, I want and the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. And, the thing you can tell that for years, for many years, the Nebraska Athletic Department sold their media guide, right? Ten bucks. And the, the media guide coming out of any, any athletic department is full of saccharine. There's not a negative word in it. And even if they went three and nine, they would still point out all of the good statistics and leave all the bad out. And that's what a lot of people really want from their coverage. And yeah, it, we went three I, and nine, but we led the country in punting all the way. <laughs> But uh, I, yeah, so there you go. I don't. I don't anything about mom spaghetti or lasagna, but I do know this is all positives across the board here. Uh, Cam Jurgens in his time in Nebraska improved tremendously. You know, from from the the mishandled snaps at the beginning uh, to being drafted earlier this spring by the Philadelphia Eagles, and has some really good beef jerky. And you can <laughs> go get you some. Beef Jurgy, J-U-R-G-Y dot com. Uh, it's it's worth it. I picked up three packs after did the draft. You buy a shirt too. I did not buy a shirt. Um, I I did uh, solicit an interview. And as we said earlier, we don't get guests on this show, so we we're long ways into this. But I so I should let this go. The three hour episode. Here we are, John. Let's go. All right. You know what I thought the most interesting thing to come out of Big Ten Media Days was? I was waiting for anything. And it was Kevin, Kevin Warren talking about the fact that expansion isn't true, but that's not it. And uh, it's, it, it's about that they're for college football playoff expansion. And the fact, it, it, here's the thing. We've got nil now, so players can get paid, and it's quite clear that some of them are making really good jing. Mm -hmm. Kevin Warren gets asked about how is this going to affect the personal lives of athletes, and he says we have a student advisory council. In other words, we don't fucking care. We're going to be carrying bags of cash to the bank. In the past, in the past, CEOs of universities, some of them somewhere would have stood up and said, this is wrong. This is they are students. This is not the part of the academic mission of our university is not to create a professional fucking football league. Have you heard any voices out of the academic side from any university anywhere complaining about any of this? Because all that all that TV money, yeah, it goes yeah. to the athletic departments, but it's greasing the skids for research and grants. And, you know, professors are probably happy that they don't have to rely on as much grant writing, you know, to get funding for uh, research pro projects. So, yeah. So. They, watching the NFL, I like what I imagine most people like watching the NFL. You watch the NFL now, it's what 17 games, mm -hmm. and you get to the playoffs, and it's not always the best team that's going to win, not because of the playing, but because they're the fucking team whose players survived the carnage that is playing in the NFL. 
It's like and the you're going to now yeah. you're you're going to now ask college students because you're going to use the excuse will they get paid? You're going to ask them to go into a basically what a 16 team playoff and put their bodies in line even more. And what are they going to get guaranteed for long-term health care? Well, in that case, I think what you life. have to do is you have to shorten up the regular season like FCS does to have a 16-team playoff. Will they do that? They Probably not with the TV money that's being raked in. There you go. So, I mean, really, like, we've, we've the, the two super, the, the, the two imminent super conferences of, you know, the Big Ten the SEC, it's not really them. It's Fox Sports and ESPN. Those, but that's what's driving to the point. We're to the point now that we're looking basically at pro stuff, whereas just a few years ago, there would have been at least somebody complaining, what's this going to do to the baseball players who are going to get on a bus and spend three days out of the week on a bus? How are they going to get their studies done? Nobody fucking cares about any of this. Yeah, when, USC, when USC baseball is going on a week-long bus trip you know, to Nebraska and Iowa in March and it's snowing, you know. Yeah. I'm shocked we haven't heard. Well, I am shocked we haven't heard anything from presidents and chancellors. You know, yeah. not a word, not a word. Because they don't fucking care anymore. Apparently not. The pretense of the student athlete is completely gone. And they might as well, honest to God, just made, we might as well just let them major in sports. Probably not a bad idea. Speaking of minor league football, Guess what's coming back in February? The USFL? The XFL. I watched one USFL game, and good Lord, it was the most unwatchable product of football I've ever seen. I am excited because the XFL is coming back. XFL is coming back to St. Louis. Battle Hawks again? I hope. I hope the Battle Hawks can fly again. Cuck uh, um, I, I took my oldest, uh, of course, in 2020. He was my only. Um, but I took uh, Garrett to the first Battle Hawks home game. And we had a good time till he got tired. We left at halftime. You but guys still. didn't crush some beers and hot dogs? Uh, no, because I was driving and he was four. <laughs> I mean, the state of Missouri. I mean, but it's not the league. Yeah, I, come on, there man. Missouri. It's it's not Arkansas. They have some. They have some standards in no Missouri. No bullshit. You were either in Missouri or Missouri. Hey, if you're Missouri, south of I seventy, it's does Missouri. not have those standards. I, south of I seventy, it's Missouri. Well, hold on. You know, I was south of I seventy last week, and I just called it Missouri the entire time. The yeah. The dome is south of 70. Damn. Checkmate. Shut up, boss. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else for this week? We, we didn't cover a lot of territory, but the territory we covered, we covered it very thoroughly, and I appreciate all you guys. I can't think of anything else, but I was going to ask this question. How far out are we from doing our game-by-game predictions? Game-by-game? Um, well, we have game 30 days. Predictions, but, like, you know, when are we, what episode are we, are we going to do our season predictions? Uh, let's the, see. The, the first episode right before the season starts. First okay, game so is the like 27th. So like yeah, August 30 days from 24th, now. 24th, Wednesday. Um, yeah, well, yeah, the episode would drop on the, on football Eve on the 26th. Um, 
or we can do it the week prior so people can complain about it for a week before. The- I like that. Let's always all right. All right. Uh, so in let's see here. One, two, John's three weeks. Stuffing. Three weeks. We will do our season predictions. I, I'm going to. Oh, it doesn't even show up. Shit. <laughs> we'll wait till later. <laughs> I don't I don't want to know what's not showing up, John. <laughs> yeah, you don't. <laughs> Let's just go. We'll be done. I feel like based on the hour, based on uh, based on the hour here, uh, John probably just snuck off screen to take his blue chew because he knows that it's going to take about 15 minutes to take effect. And he's got to get upstairs to miss coronation. <laughs> she, goes, and, she, uh, she has to get up at like four. You can get her up at 10. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, okay. Four minutes till ten. It, it'll be perfectly a, a turgid. You only need about, you probably only need what about forty-five seconds total of that. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Hey, John, John. How many of your kids are living back at home now? <laughs> Two. Oh, there you go. Is that That's all of them? Is there still a? Can't blame them. Is, it, is there a third one out there? Yes, he lives That's a block away. Ah. <laughs> uh, you know, John, I'm still disappointed that I totally forgot to hit you up when I was in Minneapolis for the Nebraska game because yeah. I would have loved to drink some grain belts with you. John doesn't drink anymore. Huh? Or, I, we'll, we'll go eat some food somewhere. I drink I'm excited. tonic water. That's what I usually drink now. I drink tonic water because it's bitter. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm excited. <laughs> I don't know if we've talked about this on the show. I think we did a couple weeks ago. But uh, I'm going to be watching the Nebraska-Indiana homecoming game October 1st with John Justin. No. How are we ever going to get you to a game in Lincoln? Yeah, um, I do need to figure that out. Are yeah. you talking to him or me? Both, oh. both for that matter. I, I, I need to figure that out this year. Probably 2023 when my kids are a little older. My wife's already told me we're going to Disney World next year, so... Oh, don't well, go in July like I made the mistake of doing. Is that Disney you World in California or Florida? Orlando, Dis- Disney World, Orlando. Oh, we were on like a hundred and four degree day. You're not this, tall this, enough to be going to good rides. This this is what I've been told. Yeah. The the decision was made. Pack. That's I had a fanny pack when I went to a Disney World in 1991. I got to say this, when I was at the Lake of the Ozarks over the weekend, one of my friends had a fanny pack, like one of the cross strap ones that we all put our phones and wallets in. I ordered one off Amazon when I got home. I was like, <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I'm not like sitting there going, oh, am I going to jump in the water with my phone in my pocket, which I have done before. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not hating on the fanny pack at all anymore. Bringing them back. Bringing them back. All right, folks, uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us this week once again for the Five Heart Podcast. I don't know the exact number, but I know we're very close to episode 300. So uh, if, if you're watching this in the comments uh, just, or, or watch this on YouTube, start leaving comments of of uh, special surprises, special, special suggestions you would like for episode 300. It can't really be a surprise if you're giving us the idea. <laughs> uh, and we'll try to make one of those work. We just need a lot of lead time. What's that? I got a special surprise for you right here. I was going to say a live show in person. I plan on doing live shows this year, by the way. Okay. On YouTube. Okay. 
Thanks, John. There you go. Appreciate you weighing in. Uh-huh. Uh for for Todd Wolverton, who uh, I apologize because I feel like you didn't say a whole lot. Todd, anything, any anything Husker related or not that you want to get off your chest? Because you've oh, been awfully no, quiet this week. No wisdom. I'm I'm out in beautiful Kearney, Nebraska, and I'm exhausted. So God's um, well, yeah. we're gonna let uh, Kearney, Nebraska, where I got my fucking face beat in one day. They still talk about that here. <sighs> Kearney, Nebraska, where I drove under the arch a few times. Yeah. Never stopped. Kearney, Austin. Nebraska, where UNK rejected me from grad- to get into grad school, but UNL let me in. Still trying wow. to figure that one out. You can't smell drunk without UNK, folks. Uh, for yeah. Todd Wolverton, for Haas Reuter, for John Dam Johnston, I'm Greg Mahachko, and this is the Five Heart Podcast, where we remind you each and every week that Five Heart is all the heart you need. John? Go big red. Omaha's and Ames. Win the damn off season. <laughs> <laughs>